your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of Jonah, chapter 3. Continuing in our study of the prophet Jonah, officially now halfway through, we'll be looking at the first five verses this evening. And so if you'd please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. It is without error. It is our source of faith and life. Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, According to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city. Going a day's journey. And he called out. Yet forty days. And Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh. Believed God. They called for a fast. And put on sackcloth. From the greatest of them to the least of them. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessings upon it. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would use this word. That you would remind us that you indeed are sovereign. That you indeed are the Lord. And that because you are Lord. You are able to bless your people. There are none. Who can thwart you. None who can counter you. We ask all of this. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. What is. A revival. Have you ever sat and thought about that? Maybe you have. Maybe you have even attended a revival. And it seems that very often today, rather than looking at the biblical view of a revival and when revival comes, we fall into one of two opposite errors. Very common in the evangelical world today are to have scheduled revivals. God will be here next Saturday night at 7.30 with our special speaker. And especially as Reformed believers, we think about that, we see the signs, revival next week, revival tonight, and we think and we chuckle to ourselves, these people really think that they're in control of God, that they can tell God when to show up, and He will. And of course, You can't. But I think we have a temptation sort of especially suited for us on the opposite side, which is we think that if that's not going to happen, then revival doesn't really happen. Oh, sure, we could point to a couple of things a couple of centuries ago, but we don't really expect a revival, do we? Do you challenge yourself as you think about our economy our society, how often do you pray 
that the Lord would work out things well in the election as opposed that the Lord would bring revival to his church. I think many of us fall into that first camp because it's something we can see. We can watch people on the television screen, read their comments in print. We can go and pull a vote lever. But you see, the main way in which the Lord works mysteriously in the world is through revival. We're going to be looking the next two times this week and in two weeks at perhaps what is the greatest revival in the history of the world. And the great mystery of it is three or four generations later, there was no evidence of it left. You see, the Spirit of God blows where He will. And what I would like us to look at this evening from chapter 3 is that revival comes because the Lord is in charge and sovereign. Revival is the revival of the Lord for His people. It is not something that we work up. And so briefly this evening, I'd like to look at three things. First, that revival comes from the Lord. Second, that revival comes with His Word. And then third, that revival comes with His power. That God is the one who brings revival. Let's start then by picking up our story with our friend Jonah. Jonah tells us, describes for us that God is... Not only a gracious God, but he's the kind of gracious God we need. He is what we might call the God or the Lord of second chances. Do you see this here in verse 1? The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And now remember where we left Jonah. Jonah was called to go on this great mission that, as we will find out, Jonah was called to be the prophet for the greatest revival in the history of mankind. And he said, um, no thanks. And by the way, in case you want to ask me again, I'm going to catch the midnight train. And he went down to the ocean, to Joppa, and he got on a boat going the opposite way. And that was because he could not see God's grace. He looked out at the Ninevites, and he saw people only worthy of judgment, not worthy of God's grace. And he separated himself from them. He made himself better. It got to the point where Jonah would rather die than preach the gospel of grace to the Ninevites. You remember that? He's on the boat, and the waves are tossing and turning. And Jonah says... Well, just throw me in the ocean. Just kill me. Because you may as well not die along with me, but let me tell you, I'm not going to Nineveh. He would rather die than preach the gospel of God's grace. But something happened to Jonah. Jonah could not get away from God, as we saw, because God sent a great fish to get a hold of Jonah and to make him sit and think about God's grace for three whole days. And Jonah is a changed man in this experience as he sees God's grace 
in saving him, someone who has run as far as he could from God, someone who had every reason not to run from God, who knew enough to trust God. And he realized that if God can be gracious even to me, then God is very gracious. And so the fish spits him up up onto the land. And the Lord comes now again to Jonah. And God is not through with him. Now, if you will indulge me for a moment, if I were God, and I were going to be really magnanimous about this situation, I would say to Jonah, like I sometimes say to my children, you've learned your lesson now, haven't you? Oh, yes, we have. You're not going to do that again, are you? Oh, no, we're not. Okay. Now you go home, go to your room, and go think about it. You're done with this now. There's no more of this project. There's no more of what you're doing. And we'll see what happens in the future. It would have been perfectly humanly reasonable for God to send Jonah packing and find someone else more worthy of being God's prophet. But you see, the problem is that would be completely contrary to what God has been teaching us about grace. God comes to Jonah because he's not through with him. And all of the past, you see, all of what Jonah has done has been in preparation for what God is doing for him now. And we need to understand that. Because we are often tempted to look back at our past sins, to look back at our past failures, and to be frozen by them. To be paralyzed because we think God can't use us now. We've blown it. There's no purpose for us now anymore. When in reality, God uses our struggles and even our sins to mold us more into the image of Christ. He points out our sinful failures to us, redeems us, and changes us. And so Jonah goes out on this second time, but it's the same mission. And and this is God's way, isn't it? You remember Abraham? Go into a land in which I have prepared for you. And Abraham left. Ur of the Chaldeans. And we talk all the time of how bold Abraham was to leave all of his family, everything he knew, and to follow God, except for there's only one thing. He stopped in Haran. We don't remember that. It's at the very end of chapter 11 of Genesis. Abraham took an extended pit stop. But God didn't leave him there. God came again to him in Genesis 12 and said, I've given you a land. A land of my promise. Go. He gave Abraham a second chance. And Abraham went. Moses was called to be the redeemer of God's people from Egypt and he took it upon himself to avenge injustice and he killed the Egyptian that was beating the Israelite. But it was before the time that was prepared and he had to run into hiding and he spent time amongst the flocks of stinking sheep and goats in Midian. In the backwater of the backwater. For 40 years probably thinking, well, I blew my chance. But God was just preparing him. And he came to Moses a second time. In Exodus chapter 3. And he said, you will lead my people out. And Moses went. 
Perhaps the most famous of all these instances occurs in the Gospel of Luke, where a certain man named Peter, in chapter 22, verse 33, says to our Lord, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And that same day, he betrayed his Lord. And yet, our Lord did not leave Peter in that position, did he? He came to him a second time. And pushed him back on the road to service, reminding him that it was Jesus that would equip Peter, not Peter. But Peter was mighty in the kingdom of God. God is the Lord of second chances in the Bible, and God is the Lord of second chances in your life today. It doesn't matter if you picked the wrong school, bought the wrong house, taken the wrong job, squandered Bible reading time, squandered time in prayer, not worked with your children as you ought. God is the God of the now. And He will carry you forward. Because you see, the other reason we know revival is from the Lord is because the Lord is in control. He is not just someone who gives a second chance and pushes Jonah out on a limb and says, go ahead, do it on your own. Because do you notice here there's something a little bit different about chapter 3, verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. The first thing that God had said to Jonah was, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Do you notice the difference? Now God tells him, You must use the message I tell you. Jonah, I'm in charge of the message. That's what the fish was all about. I'm in charge. The focus here is on what I tell you. And Jonah has been so changed by his experience that he is no longer reluctant, no longer disobedient, but he goes because he knows God is in control of the mission. And you see, this is perhaps, I think, the biggest difference between revival and evangelism. Revival is needed, but it is in the sovereign control of God. And we pray for the Lord to manifest that in His control. Evangelism is a command that God has given to us. That we must obey. And sometimes, not always, the latter leads to the former. But we are called... To trust God. To move when He says move. And to trust that He will move in His own wisdom. And when revival comes, when the Lord calls it, revival always comes with His Word. The Word of God is central to the kingdom of God. We believe that Word and Spirit are inseparable. That the Holy Spirit works by His Word. And so if the Holy Spirit is the one who brings about revival, He is going to do it by means of His Word. And that even happens here in Jonah. Now again, there is a daunting task in front of Jonah. Remember, this is the same old Nineveh that we talked about. It is wicked. It is huge. Three days journey across. 
They are unlikely to listen. These are rotten, miserable, pagan sinners. And against this same old Nineveh is one small Jonah. Now, Jonah would be even more now aware of his limits. He thought he could get away from God, but he couldn't. He thought he could even die, but he couldn't. He thought he could get away from the mission, but he couldn't. But at the same time, not only is he more aware of his own limits, he's more aware of God's power. He's seen a storm thrown like a javelin at his ship. He's seen a fish come from nowhere prepared by God to preserve him and bring him exactly where he needs to be on the shores near Nineveh. And you see, Jonah would understand that the discipline of the Lord is not just about punishment. You see, we think that, I think, sometimes. When God chastens us or when God disciplines us, we think it's to sort of smack us around a little bit because we haven't been doing what we ought. When in reality, it's as much about God guiding us in the purpose that he has prepared for us as it is punishment. This discipline puts us on the path of life and prosperity. And in the midst of this daunting task, Jonah is armed and equipped with not much, right? No army? No band of preachers? We don't even know if he had a translator. And his message was very simple, very direct. In, in our Bibles, it's eight words. In Hebrew, it's only five. His message is, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah begins with a warning of judgment. Because you see, that is where we must begin. We talked earlier about the, the core of the gospel message. And at the very forefront of the core of the gospel message is sinners need saving. There is a reason for Jesus Christ, his life and his death. And in a very succinct form, Jonah puts this to the Ninevites. It's a warning of judgment that they are required to answer for. It's a warning of judgment that we are required to answer for. It's very direct in your face. But it's also, if you'll notice, it's uncluttered. There isn't a great deal of accoutrement. One of the things that disturbs me greatly about preachers are hedge phrases. As it were, so to speak, after a fashion. Well, let me nuance that. And we blunt the word of God. When in reality here, the word of God is living and powerful. It is a sword to reach into our lives and to carve out the sin in our life. And if we are going to have a simple, direct, uncluttered message, we must know the gospel in and out. The more we know the gospel, the simpler we can make the gospel. Paul puts it 
This way in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. This is the kind of statement that Jonah brings. It's direct, it's uncluttered, and it's empowered. Because you see, the people believed Jonah. But more importantly, so importantly that the text jumps right over Jonah, doesn't it? The people of Nineveh believed God. Jonah's message was empowered by God. And this was what the early church took, what gave them such vibrancy. In Acts 4 we read that they had prayed and the place where they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Is that feeling, is that attitude present in the church today? Not just in Bible days, but do we believe that as we speak to others the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they will believe not us, but God working through us by His power? If Jonah can do it, anybody can do it. Right, folks? He's the biggest mess of a prophet you've ever seen. And yet, he's a prophet of the Lord. He brings the word of God to the people of God. Revival comes from the Lord, and it comes with his word, but finally it also comes with his power. And we see the effects of his power right here in Nineveh. The Ninevites are changed by this message. They had no prompting. It's not in the text. But I can guarantee you that Jonah did not send his gospel musician band ahead of time to prepare them for the message through music. He did not write a series of insightful, worldview-challenging articles in the Ninevite Gazette. He simply showed up and preached the gospel and it is the faithful preaching of God's word and the faithful hearing of God's word that has such a dramatic effect. That's why there is no greater need today but that the faithful preaching and teaching of God's word be out in our community. That is what we need. Everything else is supportive of that. If we don't have that, turn off the lights, shut the doors, And let us eat, drink, and be merry, Paul says. And that's not just what comes from this pulpit. It comes from your Sunday school rooms. It comes in your homes. It comes in your workplaces as you have opportunity to testify to the grace of God. And when you see, when we have this kind of faithful presentation of God's word and faithful hearing, what follows is a belief in God that we see here in Nineveh. And then we see an action on that faith. They begin to fast and put on sackcloth and ashes. Because you see, when we have faith, it affects what we do. Noah had faith, so he built. Abraham had faith, so he went. You see, if we have faith in the Lord, it affects how we live. And we carry that out into a very practical fashion. And we begin then to do the fourth thing that the Ninevites do, which is to turn from sin. God's power changes 
even Ninevites. But it's not just the effects of God's power, it's also the purpose of His power. Because you see, the purpose of His power is to bring about change. That's why He brought the warning. That's why He told them of their need for repentance. God interrupted the comfortable lives of the Ninevites to tell them they were on a path of destruction. That's the same as it is today, isn't it? Is our world any less in need of a warning? Is our world in any less need of grace? Is our world in any less need of Jesus than Nineveh? If that is true, then the Word of God must come with power and with revival in our own lives so that we may take it to the world. John Owen, in conclusion, puts it best, I think, here. He says, The Word can only come with power to our hearers when it has come with power to our own hearts. The Word of God is rich and available. Let it take deep root in your heart. And let it overflow in your life and in your mouth that God's glory might be seen in a world so in need of His grace and His Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you would remind us that we are your servants and that we need to bring your grace to your people. Lord, your people need your power. And it is only by the work of your Spirit that we can serve you, that we can be prophets in our own midst. Bless us, O Lord, by the power of your Spirit to bring your word to a lost world. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.